0: It's likely that I spend more time with Matthew Coca than anyone else in my life. Before the show started today, this is episode 873 of Nothing Personal. We do all throughout the day, we prepare and talk about what the next day's show is going to be and in the morning of course we have another prep session where we're talking about the topics we narrow it down figure out what we're going to talk about and invariably as the show is within a half hour and we're on this we're not together because we're not in studio but hopefully we're going to be in studio together one day soon in the new york studio of metal Arc. but not yet So we have been remote since March of 2020. Coke and I have not done a show in the same room together in over three years. Yet we speak every day, multiple times a day, phone, FaceTime, business. We talk about nothing personal. We talk about all sorts of things. And before the show, we get into serious show mode. Except today, as the countdown was happening to start the show, Coca decides that it's time to tell me a theory that he read about the pyramids in Giza, which he knows it's the coolest place I've ever been. And I am, look at me, Louis, well-traveled, but the pyramids are the number one, number one. And Coca drops on me, hey, listen, there's only two, we got two minutes, he'll do a countdown. We're on the phone for 35 minutes right before the show, as well as even earlier, but whatever. Do you know that it's possible the pyramids were built down, not up? And that would explain the pyramids in Egypt. All right, 30 seconds. What are you saying? I can't do a show right now when you're asking me to talk and to think about the Chicago White Sox. And now all I can think about is the pyramids being built into the ground. And this is after we're supposed to we're talking about Wander Franco. Is James Harden gonna make the show? And then we get into a 15 minute conversation about language and why it is that there's so many languages on earth and why it makes no sense. Wouldn't God want people to be able to communicate? Or is there a God? Not a God, 12 minutes. So I'm completely off my game because I don't know if I have it in the back here. Of course I do. Look at the set from the pyramids. I bought these in Egypt. These are examples of the three pyramids that I keep on set right near Max and an elephant, and they're built down? God, I hope that's Oliver Stone. Thanks for that, Coca. People don't realize, not only is Coca real, but our conversations, we ought to just press record during our pregame one of these days. So you can hear the kind of stuff that we talk about heading into the show. All these shows try to pretend that they're all casual and that you're just getting a view into what they're doing before the camera goes on. Believe me, not exactly right. It's like thinking a movie is shot in sequence all the time or that it's not done in little takes, that it's just one continuous take like 1914. No, there's a lot of stuff that gets talked about. Some of it I just shared with you. I may start doing a new segment, Coca. Every day, we'll talk about one thing that comes up during our pregame that is so asinine, and then Coca and I fight. Today, we totally got along because the show is so good and and, uh, the topics were so obvious, but we'll have, we bicker like a married couple. All right, Coca, yes, I will move on. Three, six, nine. Southside Blues, nothing personal, word of the day. It is Wednesday, 8 23 23. Southside Blues, if you're from Chicago, poor Normie George Went. I'm thinking about Chris Farley today. Dub Bears. Anyone in Chicago is thinking, wow, I better tune into nothing personal because he's going to have a few things to say about Jerry Reinsdorf. Yes, I am. Yesterday's day started with a lead story about the White Sox relocating to Nashville. I went on 670, the score to do a segment about the White Sox in the afternoon. And what was talked about is Jerry Reinsdorf and whether or not he's gonna do 1988 all over again. Is it possible? when they threatened to move to Tampa and came very close to moving to Tampa, that he's on his way. Not to Tampa this time, but it'd be Nashville. Because guaranteed rate field where they play is an old stadium. It used to be new, now it's old. Although even guaranteed rate is one of those ballparks, forgive me Southsiders, but I think you'll agree. Do you know there are people who, when they're young, they look old and then when they're old, they still look the way they did when they look young so that you say to them, wow, you look great. But then you think to yourself, wow, you didn't look so good when you were young, but man, you look great now that you're old. That's what the stadium is. Clearly been lapped by other stadiums. It was the first of the this generation of stadiums where the last is Tampa and Oakland. But now we've got all these newer stadiums that are old that have to be replaced. And we've done segments about Baltimore, about Milwaukee, about Kansas City. They just released the renderings, trying to show the public they've got two full renderings for two different sites. You gotta be pretty rich to have two real renderings of two different sites to spend the money. Yeah, AI is pretty good, isn't it? So the question is, why are the White Sox even doing this? Why did this get out? because there was a report in Cranes that the White Sox are looking to start negotiations for a new ballpark because they've six years left to go on their lease, not December, like the Orioles, six years. So the White Sox had to issue a statement because of these rumors. I can only picture Reinsdorf furious that he is being dragged into another stadium fight. He doesn't want to have it. He's 87 years old, he's grumpy, his team stinks, trying to figure out what his plans are. And they had to release a statement saying, we have not had any conversations about our lease situation. But with six years remaining, it is naturally nearing a time where discussions should begin to take place. The conversations would be with the city, ISFA and the state, and most likely would be about vision, opportunities and the future. Horse hockey. Conversations are about money. Hi, I'd like to make an appointment with the governor. I'd like to talk about your vision. It's like when a player in free agency, hey, don't tell me about the years you're offering or the money. I'd like to know about your farm system. And in the meantime, I'd like to tour the schools where my kids are gonna go to school. And if you wouldn't mind, could we take a look at some homes? Oh no. Oh, you wanna talk about money and years? No, no, that doesn't interest me. I'm way more interested in who your double-A first baseman is, G-M-A-B. What are the opportunities that exist for me batting third in your lineup? Is that what you do when you meet the public when you want a new stadium? Tell me about the opportunities. Well, we're trying to get the Chicago Bears a place, and they're looking all over Chicago, but we really don't want to lose you. You're not going to threaten us like you did in 1988, are you? Are you gonna party like it's 1988? Well, now that you mention it, I am. Do you know when you're starting a new stadium situation, what you don't do is you don't say, we haven't had any conversations about our lease situation, but we're nearing the time. Guess what? By issuing that statement, hello, you've actually started. And wouldn't it be good to start directly with the people you're gonna be negotiating with instead of them actually reading the statement and saying, oh, I guess I better check my agenda. We may be having Reinsdorf on it. No, you think that Reinsdorf, he's been around the block 87 times. You think that he's not smart enough to know that you contact privately the people you're negotiating with before it gets out publicly? Give me a break. So he's totally freaking out, releasing statements, which he doesn't like to do. Jerry Reinsdorf does not talk to the media. Anyone in the Chicago media listening to this, when's the last time you got an interview with the owner of your team? He doesn't talk, doesn't like you, doesn't think it's necessary. PR can be done through social media channels, through his GM, through his executive VP, through his manager, through his players, not him. I get it, there's plenty of owners who don't like talking to the media, but there are some times that you have no choice but to talk to the media. Like yesterday. So I go on the radio show talking about the White Sox and relocation, and then all of a sudden, bing, and when I see Matthew Coca's name on my phone, generally, it means that he found something of interest that he wants me to see as we consider whether it will be in the next day's episode. The grind of a daily show is that you are always working on an episode, always. The hardest episode is actually Monday, because we have to cut the most out of Monday's show because it's three days worth of stuff, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Coca, I'm telling you, we could do two 45-minute shows. It'd be exhausting, more exhausting than this, and we'd need to actually get more support and actually have other people than just you and I doing this show. But anyway, we Coca will text me and we'll talk about topics. He sent me out of nowhere another statement from the White Sox. And I assumed that it was a follow-up and a clarification that they don't like country music. Instead, Jerry Reinsdorf out of nowhere, wink, wink, fired Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn yesterday. Yes, that Kenny Williams. The executive vice president, Kenny Williams. The guy who had been there since 1992, Kenny Williams. The one who won the World Series as GM in 2005, Kenny Williams. The one who Jerry Reinsdorf thinks is his son, Kenny Williams. One of the leading voices and advocates of diversity in Major League Baseball, that Kenny Williams. The one who has said that he stepped back and let Rick Khan take over in 2013, but it really wasn't like that. That Kenny Williams and Rick Khan, the general manager, longtime general manager, he fired them both on August 22nd. Let's dig into the statement that he released because he certainly wasn't going to do a press conference, which you have to do when you fire your entire front office. You've got to meet the media and answer questions. You've got to stand up and be a man. You don't hide behind this statement. And Jerry knows that. This is an incredibly difficult decision for me to make because they are both talented individuals with long-term relationships at the White Sox. Quite true. Ken is like a son to me. I like that. I listen, I loved the people I worked with when Larry Beinfest was let go. I was angry. I was angry with the owner. It was not my decision. I was upset. It's one of the one of the top five arguments that I had with Jeffrey Loria during the course of my tenure was over the uh, termination of Larry, someone who I'm still close to to this day. But in a statement to put, Ken is like a son to me, and I will always consider him a member of my family. So how does that work? Does that make Ken feel better? Is he gonna stay on the payroll? Did he get a quick extension like a severance? And why would you do it now, on August 22nd, right before a game against the Mariners? And did you fire Rick because you couldn't just fire Kenny? Because Kenny's the one who's making the decisions and Jerry knows that. And deep down, Rick knows that too. Now don't get me wrong, Rick is a qualified executive, but Rick always reported to Kenny. And however you wanna believe that Kenny had stepped back and not been involved with any of the baseball stuff, That is flat out wrong. When we were dealing with the White Sox, trust me, we were dealing with Kenny. But then he went on to say, Jerry Reinsdorf in this statement, ultimately the well-worn cliche that professional sports is results oriented is correct. But that's never been how Jerry Reinsdorf has been. Jerry Reinsdorf is loyal to a fault. You saw that he brought back his good friend Tony La Russa to try to rehabilitate him and only fired him because Kenny and Rick finally won the power struggle because Tony La Russa was not qualified to manage the White Sox. But then an owner realizes you start with firing the manager. When that doesn't work, you have to fire the general manager because you're not gonna fire yourself or the team president. But the White Sox, since 2005, have been closer to the Marlins than they have been to the Twins. So what made him wake up today and say it's a results-oriented business? Did you just have that epiphany? You've been an owner, you are seven rings in. One of the most successful owners of all time. So for those people who criticize Jerry, you've got seven championships. So I don't want to hear one criticism of Reinsdorf. Seven championships. Six with the Bulls, one with the White Sox. Still seven. But when you're loyal and then you realize that someone needs to take the fall for your organization, how do you decide who it's going to be? And how do you decide when to do it? We got a clue into Jerry's thinking when he put in the statement that the White Sox will begin a search for a single decision maker to lead the baseball operations department and anticipate having an individual in place by the end of the season. Wow. First of all, there's always been a single decision maker. The last time there were co-GMs was in Baltimore with Jim Beattie and... Blank, who sadly passed away, and I cannot remember his name, Coca. Um, I want to say it was McGregor, but that's not who it was. Coca, who was the co-GM with Jim Beatty with the Baltimore Orioles? And they were actually co-GMs. When you did calls with the Orioles, they would split up certain responsibilities, certain arbitration players. But at the end of the day, both of them would have to unanimously sign off. And I just can't remember the name, but Coca can find it. That's a quick, easy look if you're still on the show, unless you're angry about the start of the show, in which case you're no longer listening to the show, which is why I can't even hear you. So thanks for that, Matt, leaving me hanging. Mike Flanagan, you're back, baby. Yes, it was Mike Flanagan. That was the last co-GMs. Every other team has a single decision maker. That doesn't mean that that single decision maker is listened to every time. The owner has owner's prerogative, sometimes, There are other people in the organization who have as much sway with the owner as the single decision maker, but the concept is that there's a single person on top of the baseball operations department. In the White Sox case, that's Kenny Williams. No matter what his title is, no matter what he said publicly or privately, he was the single decision maker. But that's not even the most noteworthy part of the last sentence of the statement. We anticipate having an individual in place by the end of the season. Here's what you can't do in August. Excuse me, Tampa, may I have permission to speak to your assistant GM? No. Excuse me, Milwaukee, would I be willing to talk to your GM? No. No No permission is required to be granted by a team to another team in the middle of a season. General manager's posts are generally filled after a season. That is when you can interview the entire selection of candidates who are working for other teams. If it's true that Reinsdorf is filling his position, it can only mean three things. One, it is somebody already working for the White Sox. God help you Chicago fans on the South side, if you think you have the blues now, if he promotes from within, good luck. Two, somebody not working in baseball. Maybe bringing back Paul De Podesta. Maybe someone who's in football, lacrosse, soccer. Three, someone who used to work for a team and is currently not working. Jeff Lunau, negative. Four, did I say three? I meant four. Someone in the commissioner's office, because they're available to be interviewed at all times. Theo, maybe. Michael Hill. That's a name that you're not seeing, and you should be. Michael Hill ought to be, and this is not personal, regardless of the relationship I have with him. Michael Hill, who is running on-field operations, who is an important member of the commissioner's office. But let's talk numbers. And I'm going to speak the quiet part out loud. When a minority general manager is terminated, baseball wants a minority general manager hired. They do not want the numbers to decrease. They want the numbers to increase. Michael Hill is not just African-American minority. He's Harvard educated. He's a World Series winning executive. He has done it all with all types of owners throughout his career, whether it was Colorado, Tampa, or Miami. The fact that Derek Jeter let him go should be a positive for his qualifications to take over a team and be the president of that team, president of baseball operations, and frankly, Mike Hill could be the president of business operations too. Theo, with his saving of baseball, the Chicago White Sox are going to be sold. Part of Jerry Reinstorf estate plan, and I'm speculating, but I'm going to end up right. You just wait and see. The Bulls will not get sold. His son, Michael, will continue to run the Bulls after Jerry's Jerry passes away, which I hope doesn't happen for three decades. Because regardless of Jerry, your view of me, I still love you. Jerry does not love me anymore. Very, very sad, actually. Disappoints me. I can't even tell you the last text exchange I had with him because it was so bad. But the White Sox are going to be sold. Rob Manford loves being commissioner, is going to be commissioner for at least another 5, 10, 15 years. He doesn't want to stop. He's young, he's healthy. Why would he stop? I do think that Theo wants to be commissioner, but you know what's better than being commissioner? Being an owner. What if Jerry Reinsdorf put a deal together with Theo, the type of deal that I thought Theo was gonna try to get with Steve Cohen, but it's gonna be David Stearns and not Theo, but the type of deal where Theo gets a piece of the team and a path to control, puts a group of people together, Chicago White Sox, South Side, one of the greatest franchises in history? Hell yeah. How do you put that deal together between now and September? Not easy to do, which means there's been conversations that have been happening because the only way to hire someone this quickly is to have someone in mind. Interesting. Maybe that that meshes with word leaking out in the last few days that Reinsdorf had been conducting internal conversations about what was going wrong with the White Sox and whether changes needed to be made. There is no greater amount of horse hockey that I could tell you than an owner meeting with lower level employees to say, hey, how come we're 49 and 76? How come our great young players haven't played so great together? How come our managers aren't, don't seem to work out? How come our drafts, what's going on? No, that's not how it works. It's really hard to imagine. So let me give you, in conclusion, some positive news for White Sox fans. It's okay to get a new voice. It's okay for Jerry not to be loyal anymore to his son. And I don't mean Michael, I mean Kenny. It's okay to believe that Jerry has a chance to identify a positive, good executive. But the best news of all, it's not that all your players stink. You've got the best team psychologist of all time. It's not that your players aren't able to win. It's that the combination that has been put together by Kenny and Rick, stale. Sometimes a change of scenery, a change of octave is all that's required. And I believe that's the case with the White Sox. So we will follow this story and let you know because I'll get a text from Coca, not Jerry. All right, when we take a break, we're gonna review another untold, not Swamp Kings. I'm gonna have Swamp Kings finish today. I I watched the first episode. I'm gonna finish that today. We're gonna do a different one about Victor Conte, and then we're gonna talk about what happened with Wander Franco, because there is an update, and I wanna give you a little nuance about this update. We'll be right back.
1: Support your journey to wellness at B I O P T I M I Z E R S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.
0: Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson and Matthew Coca live every day, 8 a.m. Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. Please hit the subscribe button. Tell your friends to subscribe. And then go on our website and tell us how you like it. Some great questions that we've worked into the show actually today that, that some of you sent on Davidsampsonpodcast.com. Check out our merchandise and check out the website. Thank you for your loyalty. Let's keep going. Let's keep talking about Wander Franco, the Tampa Bay Rays Wonder Kid, signed the 11year 180 million dollar deal. Best player on the team. All of a sudden, In the snap, God, my left hand can't snap as well. Can you equa snap Cause right hand, no problem. Left hand, decent. It's like people who can wink both sides. I can wink with my left eye, but my right eye does not close. I cannot explain that. If you're not watching this on Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel, you don't know what I'm doing, but I'm sitting here, not with any sort of tick. I'm trying to blink with both eyes or wink with both eyes. I can blink with both eyes. What in God's name were we talking about? Ah, inverted pyramids. Wander Franco has a problem because the Tampa Bay Rays called Arnold Schwarzenegger. When an organization calls Schwarzenegger and James Kahn, they do it because they believe that it is in the best interest of the organization and for PR and for revenue to absolutely erase that player or in some cases, that executive. I forgive you, Derek. The Tampa Bay Rays spent yesterday calling their stadium operations person and saying, hey, could you have two of the interns walk the entire stadium in Tampa, please? I'm gonna need to know every place that there's a picture up of Wander Franco, and then take it down. Retail person. Go to the retail shop, get rid of all the Franco stuff in the shop. In-game operations people, get on our psych-up videos and edit them and cut out Wander Franco. Wander, you've been erased. Major League Baseball put Wander Franco on the administrative leave list. There was absolutely no reason for that. He was on the restricted list, but still getting paid, still getting service time. But then they moved him to the admin leave list. Why? Because that's the list where Trevor Bauer was. That's the list where you can stay forever as long as the union agrees. What you may not remember about the Trevor Bauer situation is that the union and the league had to renew their agreement every damn week to keep Trevor Bauer on the administrative leave list as long as he was. But in this case, they got together and said, I don't wanna talk to you every Friday. I mean, Shabbat Shalom and the whole thing, but I don't wanna do it. We're gonna agree that Wander Franco can stay on the administrative leave list as long as it takes. See you later, Wander. So his stuff is removed. He's on this list where he does get service time and he is getting paid. But baseball has made sure that as we head into October, no one's talking about Wander Franco, no one's thinking about Wander Franco, and clearly no investigation of Wander Franco will be done in a timely manner at all. Tampa Bay released a statement which they pulled. It's the statement that everyone releases. We are in support of Major League Baseball and we're supportive of the domestic violence joint child abuse policy and we absolutely will have no further comment until the investigation is concluded. Normal, good statement, says nothing. Here's what I would have liked. They can't do it, but these are the statements I would have always wanted to release. On behalf of the entire Tampa Bay Rays organization, I would like to tell you that we will never utter the name Wander Franco again. There will be no record of him having been a Tampa Bay Ray. We are completely disgusted and dismayed that we were so wrong because we're normally so right to have invested that many years of money in a player. And it turns out that that player was engaging in child abuse and underage sex without consent by definition. So Wander, good luck in the desert for 40 years. They can't say that because he's innocent until proven guilty. There's a justice system in the Dominican. There's a Department of Investigations within baseball who's going to try to figure all this out. But guess what? The fix is in. Do you think the Department of Investigations could finish its investigation by the end of August? Nope. How about by the end of September? Nope. How about on October 12th? October 15th, the ALCS game won and out comes a big announcement. We have finished. Mohammed comes off the mountain. We have finished our investigation of Wander Franco and we are reinstating him. Good luck, Tampa. Never. It's not how it works. Even if the investigation is done, they do the slow roll. Slow down. Well, we have total proof that nothing happened. I... No, no, we're ready. Nope. Not ready to announce. There will be no further announcements about Wander Franco until after the season. As a matter of fact, wait to see is when I tell you something's going to happen. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, but we will definitely revisit it. I'm gonna do an official wait to see right now. Wander Franco will not play again this season. Is there music, Coca? Can you play some music or something? Or like that is one of the worst wait to sees of all time because it's so obvious. Are you not gonna, can we not do that maybe in the new studio that we can have like buttons you can press that can be dun-dun. That's the official wait to see. Okay. Oh, I didn't even do a review. Did we go to break yet? Coca, let's go to break. Oh, we did go to break. All right, this has been a weird day. I grant you, I was thrown off by the start of the show where we didn't start with word of the day and I was just wanting to tell you what was going on between me and Coca. So we did go to break. Did I promote nothing personal? And then we didn't go to a review. I went right to Franco. Weird. Untold, hall of shame. So there's a lot of talk about untolds right now. I thought I talked about Swamp Kings already where I watched the first episode. Anyway, so I've been watching a bunch of Untold's. I reviewed the Jake Paul one. I watched the Hall of Shame one. It's about Victor Conte and Balco. Balco, Balco, Bay Area Laboratory Company. I never knew what it stood for actually, even in baseball. I didn't really know the story of Victor Conte. I knew the players who were doing steroids. Of course, it's obvious. Victor Conte during this documentary still does not admit that Barry Bonds did steroids. But the way he says it is, hey, look for yourself. I have no proof. I never saw him do it. But Barry Bonds and Barry Bonds' trainer were certainly a part of Balco. There are notes everywhere. Victor Conte is like a modern day villain in that he's reveling in the fact that he built an entire business, all with the goal of helping players be the best they can be through medicine. Now, we are a society of medicine. The number of people on SSRIs and anxiety medicines and depression medicines and sore throat medicines and antibiotics, The number of athletes who will try anything to make their career longer, better, make more money. Do you blame them? I went to law school to try to make my career better and make more money. If I were an athlete, I'd do whatever I had to do to make myself have the ability to have a longer career, make more money. I have great respect for people who say, no, I'm not gonna do steroids. But back in the day, everyone was doing steroids. No, it was just Brady Anderson. Don't be ridiculous. Everybody was doing it. Therefore, if they're doing it, I can do it. That is human nature. Some of the players have admitted it, some have not. But the entire movie, Hall of Shame, for an hour and a half or an hour 20, whatever it is, it goes step by step in the evolution of Balco and what they did. And it's all about how you get a player to do steroids but cycle the player so they don't fail the drug tests. We would spend so many hours of meetings in Major League Baseball, meeting with laboratories and doctors, all trying to figure out how we can catch players because the players were always ahead of the testing. It's like in the treasury department, hey, we're gonna change all the bills because we're gonna get ahead of all of the currency. What are they called? Oh God, Coke, I'm having a moment. What's it called when people copy currency? Uh, and it's uh, it's fake. Is this really happening to me? Am I having a moment right now again? Coca, please answer me. What is a counterfeit? Thank you. The counterfeiters are always ahead of the printers. In sports, the players were always ahead of the testers. So we'd have these meetings and we'd have presentations. Hey, for $75,000 a month, We can make sure that you will catch every player doing stories. We have this proprietary thing where we are way ahead of everybody who's testing. And they were lying every time because they were never ahead. Victor Conte is still alive, still running a business. Fascinating story of an entrepreneur who found a need, a gap and filled it, of course with syringes, but filled it nonetheless. Nothing personal pick of the day. The Dodgers were beating the Guardians. Bobby Miller was beating Noah Syndergaard. And then the bullpen imploded, and we're back to 115 and 115, which really does annoy me because I'm trying to get some separation in my record. After 230 games in 2023, yes, I'm a numbers guy. I like that. I like the symmetry of those numbers. We are 115 and 115. Ugh, it means we're down money. Today's game. Do you see the Blue Jays Orioles game? Fascinating series. So many great division races going on, so many great playoff races going on. We haven't done segments on this, but pay attention to the American League West. The Mariners and the Astros and the Rangers are separated by a game. Pay attention to the NL Wild Card where you've got the Marlins, the Reds, the Diamondbacks, the Cubs, fighting for wild card it's fascinating baseball is thrilled to bits that this september is going to be one of the most memorable septembers we have had in a long time and they're so thankful because the large market teams like the yankees and mets are not part of the september conversation otani and trout are not part of the september conversation trout came back from the broken hemate bone yesterday they activated him how did that go What an absolute disaster in Anaheim. The Anaheim Angels, not good. So we're going with the Blue Jays and Kevin Gausman, who could win the Cy Young, over the Orioles and their new pitcher, Jack Flaherty. That is the pick today. All right, let's talk a little basketball. Uh, Something happened yesterday with James Harden, and there's been some criticism, so I want to explain it. We did a show, I guess the last couple days where we mentioned to you and played the tape. Do you remember this actually happened during a live show last week when James Harden was in China and gave his monologue about how Daryl Morey is a liar and that he will never play for the 76ers again. He then doubled down and and said there can be no repair. We then did a Josh Harris response, a Daryl Morey response. Well, wouldn't you know, yesterday the NBA decided, we want to put our hat in the ring here, and we wanna make sure that players understand that all of you players who think that you can talk your way to another team, not fulfill the obligations of your contract, and be so empowered that you are ruining the game. Fans are pissed off that they get behind a player and that player then says, you know what? I love the max deal, but now I'm tired of it. So Adam Silver said, you know what? I'm going to find James Harden 100K. $100,000. And here's what I'm going to say. Under the collective bargain agreement, I'm allowed to find a player who is not willing or able or in desirous, to perform the services called for under his player contract unless traded to another team. It's part of the new collective bargain agreement. Players cannot hold out. They can't do a Jonathan Taylor. Different sport, but you get my point. You cannot say, you know what? I'm done. I will not play for you anymore. You better trade me. The NBA wanted to take a stand on this. The players union agreed in the last CBA, the one they just negotiated before each side could opt out. There's another episode about that if you're new to nothing personal. And they agreed to this provision because both sides agreed. It's not good for the game for players to demand a trade and say, I will not perform under my contract. It's like you at work, if you got a contract and you said, Again, I'm going to my favorite example, Pepsi and Coke. You have a contract with Coke, and you walk into their office and say, I will not make one more can of Diet Coke unless you trade me to Pepsi. Screw that. You signed with Coke. Can you imagine an executive, a GM, a manager? I decided I no longer want to manage your team, I am not managing, but I'm happy to manage that team. No. It doesn't work that way. Hey, I like doing marketing for you, I really do. I think you have a great company. I'm very interested in all of your plans, but I would choose not to work for you another minute. Please trade me, give me a break. But guess what? The NBA Players Association said, hold on. While we did agree that players cannot choose to not perform, that's a lot of negatives, the services called for under their contract unless they're traded to another team, they can't say that. The NBA Players Association said in this case, quote, we respectfully disagree with the league's decision to discipline James Harden. We believe, the recent comments he made, we believe do not violate the rule against public trade demands. The subtlety of the NBA Players Association statement is outstanding. They acknowledge there's a provision in the collective bargaining agreement that says players may not publicly demand a trade. They may not withhold services. But what they're saying in this case is that's not what James Harden did. We intend, they said, to file a grievance. And I was stopped dead in my tracks what about what james harden did was not withholding his services and saying that he's demanding to be traded which part of him saying i will never be a part of an organization that daryl Morey is a part of again which part of that is not interpreted as i will not be a sixer i'm currently under contract with the sixers but so is daryl Morey. now you could say to me kevin durant did the same thing with the nets He said, I will not be here unless Steve Nash and who is it, Sean Marks, unless the GM and the coach are gone. Little different in tone, and it didn't turn out to quite be the case, did it? Now, of course, Steve Nash ended up getting fired, but that's neither here nor there. Daryl Morey could end up getting fired. Josh Harris could choose James Harden over Daryl Morey. Not going to happen. But the NBA Players Association is gonna go in front of an arbitrator, an independent arbitrator, who's neither independent, but is an arbitrator. No, I'm not impugning arbitrators. I love arbitrators. You are independent, fine. But don't tell me you don't keep track of which side wins when, because you do. There's a tally board in arbitration and baseball. All right, let me give you one minute on that so you know what I'm talking about. When players go to arbitration, there's something called the possession arrow. And we we used to call it a possession arrow defeat or possession arrow victory. If three straight players in arbitration have won, then the next arbitration, the team's gonna win. If the team has won three in a row, the player's gonna win. Even if it's a case that the player should not win or the team should not win, it's called the possession arrow victory or a possession arrow defeat. Arbitrators do keep track of stuff like that. They want to keep their jobs because either side can eliminate the arbitrator. And then all of a sudden you're not getting paid to go to Arizona or Tampa, or to be have on your resume that you're the independent arbitrator in a league. I guess that is imputing arbitrators. But no, I'm not. It totally makes sense. You have to do it that way. But you're gonna argue in front of an independent arbitrator, if you're the NBA Players Association and say, here's the video evidence that the NBA just entered into of James Harden We hear what he's saying, but it's the off-season. He's still going to go to training camp. He's absolutely going to play. He never said he was going to hold out. He never said anything other than trade me and Daryl Morey's a liar and the organization stinks and I'll never play again for that organization. But don't believe what he says. Believe what he does. And then the NBA is going to say, that's a very convincing argument by the Players Association, but that's not what the provision says in the CBA. The rule is against public trade demands. What James Harden did was clearly a public trade demand. He clearly stated he will not perform his services for any organization where Daryl Morey is a member. Well... I don't need to wait for training camp for that. I can find him right now, no problem. Guess who wins that arbitration? The league. So while the NBAPA will file a grievance over this fine and they fully intend to in order to protect their rights going forward, which is the right of every union to do, and I'm all in, no problem. Their chances of prevailing Zero. The same percentage chance of James Harden playing for the Sixers this year. It's a donut. It's just business. This is Nothing Personal. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time.